Isabeau. And I'm Morgan. And this is Womance. A podcast about romance novels. About bad business. About New York City. About made-up desert kingdoms. About Boston Red Sox. About <laughs> Greece. About shopping. Uh, about dictatorial bosses. About HR complaints. About private jets. Well, most of all, that first thing. That first thing. Romance novels. And ourselves. This week. This week. This week. This week. We are, I'm calling it, wrapping up. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We're wrapping up our official AHA Chic Shake Heartbreak. AHA Chic Shake Heartbreak with guys sit down sit if you are standing lie down if you are sitting (laughs) because harlequin presents lucy monroe's hired colon the chic secretary mistress oh god published in 2008 i was still in high school i was voting for barack obama all right i am going to read the summary okay Sheikh Amir bin Farouk al-Zorha lives in New York, but the desert is where his heart lies. Now it's time for him to marry. Grace Brown, Amir's plain but indispensable (laughs) assistant, isn't exactly queen material. Redundant. No matter how tempted Amir is to take her innocence, she's off limits until he returns to his homeland where the barbarian prince replaces the businessman and he resolves that Grace will be his. One review. Oh, my God. Do you want to hear the review? It's a four star out of five. Oh, wow. That is too many stars. Let's see what this reviewer thought. You can find this on librarything.com. Lucy Monroe writes such great sweet romances as well as her hotter fare. Hired, the chic secretary mistress is her latest Harakun Presents and is a true fairy tale. Grace is a darn good personal assistant to Sheik Amir. That's about the only really positive thing she can say about herself. Pause for laughter. She's plain and thin and hides herself behind baggy clothes and glasses. She also hides her love for Amir. She could be happy just to be near him and working for him until he asks Grace to pick out his future wife. Bom, bom, bom. Amir suffered the loss of his young love and has closed his heart since then. When the marriage his father, the king, arranged falls through, he decides to pick out his own wife. He'll let Grace do it. She knows him better than anyone. It's not until he faces the possibility of a life without Grace that he realizes his heart may not be his own. Oh my God. Such a sweet story with a wonderful HEA. Alpha male meets his match and introduces her to the joys of sex. Two exclamation points. Mm. Unrealistic and yet unbeatable writing that will have you saying, aw. No. That was really well written, though. That was a really succinct way of describing what happens in the book and saves us a lot of trouble. She was ripe to be plucked from the tree of her virginity is an actual line in this book. Wow, this <laughs> I highlighted it and then I just have question mark, question mark, question mark. How are you ripe to be plucked from the tree of your own virginity? Like, how is your virginity a tree and you are the fruit? Ver- like, all of it. 
There is something like very The Bachelor about the way this chic is described. Yes. Where it like just tells you things but doesn't show you anything. Yes. Here are some points I highlighted when we're introduced to him. Obscenely high IQ level he was purported to have. She understood how important his family and home were to him even if he lived in Manhattan and reveled in his New York existence. And I was like, like those two things would be at odds otherwise. Oh my God. There's so much, you guys. There is this like real wetness for an alpha male Mm -hmm. when I was reading this like it reads like a billionaire alpha male book like there's almost nothing special about Amir being a sheik that isn't like that you could just literally take all of that out except for the fact that when he goes back to the desert Mm -hmm. he can be regressive right in his values and finally be like hey grace check out this boner I've been hiding behind my desk for weeks. And like also weirdly a big thing that happens in this book he like pops a trouser tent all the time in his office constantly and then once he gets to the desert he's literally is like check out my trouser tent. And she's like oh that's for me? She whiz. Yeah. But like I mean other than like the regressive thing and I guess in a billionaire book where our hero isn't a chic they would just call that you know a traditional alpha male or he's like that because of business or he's like that because that's all he's ever known. It's easy to explain away that kind of masculinity with a bunch of other things like he didn't have to be a chic. He's just a very rich man with a private plane and an over involved family. Ho hum. So that's the book. (laughs) So, okay. The thing I want to talk about in this book in particular is virginity. Because, like, that's come up in all of our chic novels. And I I think that's an interesting thing. I don't mean to say that I think it's interesting. I think the way that was dealt with in E.M. Hull's The Chic was time appropriate and also like about as much as you could do in 1919. But also interesting because her virginity was something that she felt wasn't that important. It was just something she was totally disinterested in. Right. Which is really transgressive for a heroine to be disinterested in her own virginity. Right. Because it's like upending the patriarchy and like everything else. So like in that way, virginity is de-emphasized to the point of like a non-topic in our original chic novel. And then in Savage Sands, her virginity is taken from her by a nun in one sense. And then the penetrative sex that she has with the Day of Algiers. Like she's had so much sex up until that point that like, again, her virginity is a real non-starter. Sex is really important. It becomes a really important tool and a really important form of self-expression. Right. You know, like sex is really all the things in Savage Sands that it really is. Right. And then you have this book, our most contemporary, our most whatever. And it's like virginity. I know. It's by far the most regressive. I was like, what? The sexual idea. The fuck? 2008. What wins Best Picture? Best Picture in 2008. No Country for Old Men. Highlights. Juno won Best Original Screenplay. There Will Be Blood won Best Cinematography. No Country for Old Men won Best Adapted Screenplay. Daniel Day-Lewis won for something that year. There Will Be Blood. Actor in a supporting role was Javier Bardem. You know what I gotta say? Hmm. A lot of Sandy movies. A lot of Sandy movies in 2008. That's so weird. We're seven years into the war in Iraq at that point. We're post-troop surge. Mm -hmm. So it's back in our news. Album of the Year, Raising Sand by Alison Krauss and Robert Plant. That is a lot of sand. That's a lot of sand. What the fuck, you guys? 
Is that what it's all about? I think the thing that chic novels, especially contemporary ones, I would say post. Oh, yeah. We have been talking about this a lot. The influence of the Iraq war on the resurgence of chic novels. Would you provide us with some context? Because maybe people don't know that this happened. The resurgence of chic novels, not the Iraq war. Right. So it's like all the reasons that you wouldn't have chic novels are pretty apparent. Like they're pretty grossly racist. They're dealing in a lot of tropes that are really bad. And like there are better ways to write alpha males and like weird virginity fantasies. You can do it in lots of other ways. So like what's exciting about the desert? A much smarter person than me has posited. God, what's her name? So her book is Desert Passion. At least Passions. a person who has given themselves the space and the time to think about it a lot more deeply. Oh, a lot more critically. I have so many notes in this. Shu Ming To wrote this book, Desert Passions, and she posits the theory that in moments of conquest and colonization or when the Western powers meet up again with the Arab powers that chic romance is sort of like ripped from the headlines. Like the idea that romance sort of interacts with itself in the same way that law and order does is sort of the premise of that book and that chic romance comes up in popular as a concept or as a television show as a television show like like, from the headlines I see see what you mean and so that romance does the same thing like it's talking to its moment and so then there was a rash of chic novels in the 70s during the oil embargo crisis during the Iranian hostage crisis and you had this like uptick and then you had this massive uptick of chic novels again so they're always published there's like two or three a year but then in 2003, Iraq invasion, first massive troop deaths, 27 chic novels were published in that year. So then it's like, well, if the year before that and the year before that, especially in like, if you look at the pre 9-11, so like 2000 and 1999, it's like there are very few chic novels published, like two at the most. It's very niche, very yeah. like nobody's really reading them. And then all of a sudden there's a massive uptick because suddenly we're A, more familiar with that geography. It but was like the whole of Harlequin Desires or whatever imprint. Right. And Harlequin Presents. And it's continued not at that breakneck pace but I think it's interesting that you have this surge in 2003 and then you have a mini surge again in 2008 which is during the troop surge that romance is following the headlines in this particular way because like well as Desert Passion points out the first kind of chic romances emerged during the crusades right oh my god you want a deep cut Jerusalem delivered It is a 9,000 page epic poem about the Crusaders meeting up with the Saracens. And there's a Saracen lady, Knight, who converts to Christianity at the end Mm -hmm. because Tancred loves her so much. The interesting thing that is pointed out in Desert Passions, one of the interesting things is that there's obviously this real pleasure in difference, which I was very interested in when I was working on my thesis, like the pleasure in, in difference. But the resolution is always like a religious conversion Mm -hmm. that leads to like a whitening, like a literal whitening, which we take a certain way historically has a different context. Mm -hmm. But I wonder how we see that resonating in the romance and the chic romance that we've read for this series because I definitely feel like it does. I think it resonates in a really different way and like the resolution. Do you think that's still in there that idea of like 
a conversion to whiteness? No. I think yes in Savage Sands and obviously yes in The Chic by E.M. Hall. But the thing that happens in the post 9-11 world of chic romance is different because the pleasure of difference isn't resolved necessarily by whiteness. It's resolved by being like, oh, we're not that different at all. And this book is really transparent about that in ways that feel hokey. Um, This book overall feels very hokey. Yes. Which is a remarkable thing to say whenever you're holding it up against a book that was published in 1978 and a book that was published in 1921. Yes. This is by far the hokiest. Oh my God. By far. And the title is so fucking salacious. Oh my God. Hired. Colon. The chic secretary mistress. Also, she's not a secretary. She's a personal assistant. She's never called a secretary. She's not his mistress. Not ever his mistress. Whatever. And this is what I mean about the amelioration because it becomes different where it's like whiteness can't be the resolve because that's racist. And like at least textually, right? Like at its surface level, that can't be the resolve because that's racist. But she says this thing. In some ways, Amir even reminded her of her own father, a man who ruled his family with the same sense of entitlement, if not the royal right. Both men care deeply for their families too. It was love that made them do it. We also talked about this when we talked about The Sheik by E.M. Hall. I feel very strongly that the sheik becomes good whenever he sheds like his sexual barbarism for his like romantic loveism which is associated with whiteness in the Mm -hmm. book that was how I felt I think this book is kind of doing similar stuff because it talks about the fact that like once he gets to the desert he's like free to be himself and himself is like walking in on her in a bathtub full of rose petals and like sweeping her off to his family's hunting lodge and then once they get back to his home they're about to head back to New York then he's like oh I want to marry you and then she's like you're like my dad but she says you're like my dad at the very beginning before they even get to Zohar which which is why I think this book is doing a thing about the pleasure of difference which says we're not really that different after all which is a whitewashing sure but it doesn't have to do with the pleasure of difference it has to do with the pleasure of sameness yeah it's the pleasure of sameness where it's like I understand your masculinity because I've seen it in my dad because he's a dictator to me too and like it doesn't (laughs) matter that you're a sheik because my dad's a dictator and he's from like upper New York or like Buffalo or wherever she's from and she makes that comparison a couple of times before they even get to the desert which makes me think that this is a book that says you all like alpha males because they're all alpha males really and it's like okay yes it's not about the pleasure of difference it's about the pleasure of it's like finding the similarity it's like you expected it to be different because she's super white and from upper state new york and he's from the desert but they're really the same upper state new york whatever it is you're adorable i want to say that she's from green bay but i know that's wrong it's just a really white place no this is a point I highlighted we get a little bit of our sheik's internality and he said she could be shy and annoying (laughs) but she was never boring and I commented dream date (laughs) that's what you want your man to think about you you could be shy and annoying but you're not boring no wait she could be shy and stubborn but she was not annoying oh well that's good what a dream what a dream he's a real dream boat this Amir he's a middle child in a really big way Mm -hmm. I don't no, like there's something about this book that makes me feel like there isn't a pleasure of difference. There isn't even like a pleasure of discovery. Like when he takes her
her to his hunting lodge, she's like, oh, except for the fact that there's pillows on the floor, it's not so different from like a regular mansion. Right? And then she's like, oh, you know, your grandfather built this for his favorite mistress. And he's like, no, he built it for his wife. And she's like, is that common? He's like, no, our family has always participated in monogamy. And she's like, that's so nice. And he's like, isn't it weird though? I guess I'm just special because unlike all of the The other other brown people out here, (laughs) we've been monogamous and therefore good. Like it really does not take pleasure in difference. It doesn't. And like, also, why do they go shopping in Greece? Why can't they go shopping in fucking Dubai? Right? It's like right there and way more obvious. Also, like having been to Athens, it's like, well, is it right there? This is a made up place. We have no idea where Zohar is. I guess it could have been like, it felt sort of like Turkey. It was a two hour flight from Greece. Yeah. From Athens. So that feels like Turkey. But like could also potentially be North Africa because like Greece is a peninsula. You can get across the Mediterranean in two hours on a plane. I don't know. I don't know where it is. It also didn't feel particularly. It's not a real place. It doesn't matter where it is. The only thing that matters is that it's like an eight hour flight from New York and Mm -hmm. like a two hour flight from Greece. I'm going to have to assume they didn't go to Dubai because it was. She would have said if they had. No, no. What I'm saying is like, why didn't they go to Dubai? Was it a farther flight or does she just want her characters to go to a white country in the Mediterranean? Yeah. Yeah. Why didn't they go fucking shopping in Turkey? Holy shit. When you think about like the Middle East and North Africa, fucking dope shopping. Yeah. Super fucking dope shopping. But it just seems so strange that you would go to Athens, Greece to go shopping. For your big makeover. Yeah. And also your big makeover results in you wearing a beige pencil skirt. And relaxing your hair. She relaxes her red curly hair. Oh, yeah. And it goes into like the maintenance of it. Boy, a three and a half hour relaxer on her curly red hair. And they're like, now you're sexy that you have straight hair. God, this book has problems. That was a weird one. That was a weird one. The book can't just like leave well enough alone. Yeah, and it's obsessed with virginity. whenever, yeah, whenever it comes to a vagina. Yeah, and I was like, well, we got to get in it. Yeah, he comes in his pants. Hang on, hang on. I actually want to set the stage of this one, okay? Should we just read it? The whole scene? No. Okay, because we can read part of it. Like, if you'd find it, especially the scene that you're talking about at the end but I want to set the stage so like she's gone and had her beautiful makeover his mom like took her to Greece for three days he's mad and so then he picks her up from the airport in a Jaguar they switch to a desert Hummer whatever the fuck that means also hate it and then they pull up to like this side a of the desert road Hummer is what he's about to get oh my god no. and she's like I've never been parking before ah! <laughs> she's 22 no because she's been working for him for five years she's 25 i thought she started working for him when she was like 19 i thought she had a college degree she had like a junior college degree okay so yeah maybe yeah she's however old she is she's stupid young she's stupid young but, but she's still also old enough old to like go parking for the first well, they time do talk about how rare it is and special unconventional unconventional for her to be she's just a little quirky whatever and so like he pulls over in this desert hummer and like starts making out with her and like smooches kissing and like touching her boobs and like she's like on the verge of coming and then like they dry hump they dry hump to completion the both of them Mm -hmm. and then and then he gets out of his desert hummer he makes (laughs) a funny little face and she's like oh god did you hate it and he's like no i loved it i've just never come in my pants before and while i enjoyed it while it was happening it's a little messy afterwards (laughs) freeze frame credits roll episode two over 
fucking so dumb. fucking dumb. Talked about his baggy pants. And just constantly looking at his boner through pants. This is obviously what Lucy Monroe is into. Pants boners. I guess. He's like going for a walk with her in sweatpants. That's the sound of his boner popping. Sitting behind his desk. Picking her up in a limo. You know what I will say? There was not enough discussion. How do what I want to phrase this? What will you say? What will I say? I didn't know that I appreciated discussions of what penises, peni, penises, penises, penises looked like until I read so many discussions in Savage Sands. <laughs> So many different kinds of so penises. So many different kinds of penises. Obviously. Cut, uncut, veiny, not so veiny, throbbing, not throbbing, like a variety, a chodes, play. Chodes, pencils. Chodes. Yeah, it's not the size, it's what you can do with it. All sorts of different penises. All tan, not tan. people come. Yep. You know what a pants tent penis doesn't do? Doesn't look like anything, but like a fucking weird thing in your pants. I will say it is clear to me that Christopher Nichols has spent more time in a men's locker room than Lucy Monroe has. Yes. I feel like we can say that with utter confidence. I just don't feel like Lucy Monroe like spent a lot of time thinking or looking at dicks. I honestly, after Savage Sands, I think romance writers could spend more time looking at dicks and yeah. thinking like, what does my hero's dick look like? Because it's actually important. I think it would actually elevate some of the texts if there was more like character to <laughs> penis. For sure. Where it's like, oh, it's like velvet on granite. And I was yeah. like, okay, but like, what's it look like though? It, what's it look like? Does it have two colors? You know, those is dual it, color penises? Right? Is it packing its own sleeve? Is it not? So like, rarely do they even comment whether they're cut or uncut. And nobody ever says grower versus shower. And they always just say big. Yeah. I'm Why like, doesn't anyone ever say like, decent size right a nice handful we're like small but like it's gonna get the job done yeah or i saw it and it started small and i was like oh this is gonna be disappointing and then it grew into a massive dick just like a party (laughs) noisemaker just like that there's so many dicks yeah so a good way to get around that always have the boner popping through some pants then you then never, you never have, have to, to describe, describe it. it. And then like their sex scene in the bathtub, I guess she doesn't even look at it. She's like, here's what it feels like in hot water. It's like, oh, okay. It's like a bath toy. She also has this like thing where she's very interested in becoming a part of his family. Mm-hmm. Which felt like kind of like my big fat Greek wedding. You know, it's like, yeah. ah, they're like ethnic, but just like me because like his brother loves him, but doesn't know how to say it. And they have this funny bet and his other brother. So blah, blah, blah. And his mom really loves me has been waiting for me to get out of my dowdy clothes and like I'm the daughter she always wanted but could never say and I'm like cool I feel like Savage Sands the chic you pointed out a lot of interesting tension and I think a lot of that tension comes from the pleasure of difference and the problem of difference Mm -hmm. brushing up against each other which is actually a really interesting thing to talk about Mm -hmm. and a really interesting thing to explore in whatever like limited capacity like a short sexy book has Mm -hmm. this book and I feel like a broken record is not interested in the pleasure of difference. It's also not interested in the problem of difference. Mm-mm. It's interested in the erasure of difference. Right. And I think that's purposeful in a way. And like if we're going to truck with Toe's theory, 
about chic novels becoming popular during political moments. One of the things that I feel like this book could potentially be working on is this idea is that we are all the same. In this way, it's like the fact that we're all the same then means that the way in which we are othering other nation states and the people who live in those nation states is wrong. Right. And I think that is really generous for this book. And I don't think like that is necessarily something that's going to hold a lot of water. But like if we are taking that theory to its logical move with this book, that's the thing it's working on. It's working on that we're not different from the people who live over there and like it's important that we know that yeah and I think this is true for all three books we've read it's this broken progressivism yes that's trying and missing the mark yeah this one misses the mark because of erasure this one misses the mark because of virginity which is like virginity which has very little to do with like the racial and national politics happening in this book virginity is like its own weird fetish fetish but I think like to 2008 we're at the end of our second bush junior term we are and neoconservatism is just kind of like rumbling i guess that's true like purity is really way on its way out but it hasn't died its death yet remember there were purity balls or oh, purity yeah, rings purity at this time rings. the first person i ever met with a purity ring wasn't in high school it was in college and it was a diamond on her left hand and it was like oh my god are you engaged she's like engaged to jesus she didn't say that yeah she was waiting and like her promise was to jesus and her father what yeah her celibacy was promised to Jesus and her father until she met her uh, husband. Show me the math. You get a diamond ring because mm-hmm. you're promising your celibacy to Jesus and your dad mm-hmm. until you-, you get a new ring from a new man. To promise your non-celibacy? Your non-celibacy. Your joyful sexual awakening, which is procreative penetrative sex where you are always in the missionary position because that's how God intended it. That's why it's called missionary. The mission from why, God. Why did missionary get its rap as like the missionary position, the appropriate position? What about it? I don't want to say this on the record because I'm not 100% sure, but I feel like let's wildly speculate. Let's just say on the record that we're wildly speculating. I'm wildly speculating, but honest to God, to I feel like there's a passage in Leviticus about the proper way to have sex, and that's the one man on top of woman. And that's why it became that way because I know that it talks about other kinds of sex in Leviticus, and all of those are no-goes okay i thought leviticus was just like you have to come inside like if you don't come inside a lady then you're murdering all your right potential it's children. better to come in the belly of a whore than to cast your seat upon the sand mm-hmm. also can't wear mixed fibers also can't eat shellfish that's all leviticus yeah can't uh trim your beard no can't do a lot of stuff but also like I feel like I mean, maybe it was like wildly specific as many translations of Leviticus can be, but like the idea of laying on top of a woman feels like, I mean, you can do that a few different ways. That's true. You totally can. I don't know. Like I, and then I think like obviously missionary became pretty pejorative. And then like when you begin to associate the missionary position with like actual missionaries. Maybe it's because like doggy style is like too animalistic and they just didn't have the creativity to conceive of other <laughs> positions. There's so many other positions though. I mean, like... That could happen on accident. Yeah. Especially when you're getting into missionary, like find something else. I'm like, oh, <laughs> and I brace you differently. Suddenly it's a whole new deal. Oh my God. <laughs> a whole new world. It's impressive to me that in the summer that saw the live action Aladdin, we haven't talked about that in relation to any of our chic novels. We did say that this series was officially sponsored and it is by <laughs> Disney's live action Aladdin. <laughs> 
I forgot. That's right. Of course. That Disney money. They love that we drink and swear. We're, we're part of... And we just spent a whole thing talking about doggy style. Dicks. Uh, we're not part of Disney's official outbreak. We're part of their yes, Buena Vista. That's Buena what, Vista. This podcast is brought to you by Buena Vista. Subsidiary of Disney. Also their uh, porn company. Also ABC. Yeah. We're part of ABC. That's why they get to make Once Upon a Time. Mm-hmm. I liked that show at the beginning. It used to be about like... Fun stuff. It used to be about fairy tale characters en general. And then it was like, Elsa and Anna are coming. <laughs> Between Elsa and Anna, who do you think is more likely to be into chic novels? Anna. I say Elsa. She does like weird power dynamics. She's into whiteness. She'd be into like, you know, billionaire novels. So I guess, yeah, she'd be into chic novels. But I think like Anna's like, I want to go places. Yeah, like chic novels, like new contemporary chic novels. They feel like so just like a racialized billionaire. That is exactly what this book is. It is so boring. I was so bored. And like, I don't know if you know this listeners, but like, I do not like billionaire novels. I don't think they're that interesting. I mean, I get it. I guess like it erases a bunch of problems that like class bring up, but it's always like a Cinderella story and like, okay. Which is the problem of class. Right. But it's like, it's solved with piles and piles of money. Yeah. Like fucking Avita. Yeah. That's a Cinderella story that has to do with all the problems of class. Yeah. They don't go away. No, and I like that. I like that, uh, what's his name, who is also Zorro and married Melanie Griffith. Banderas. I like that he's just yelling at her in the streets all the time. Che Guevara, he was portrayed by my favorite, Mandy Patinkin. I love Mandy Patinkin. In the Broadway production. I love Mandy Patinkin. I love Mandy Patinkin. What do you love most about Mandy Patinkin? I love two stories about Mandy Patinkin. Two stories? Mm-hmm. Tell me your favorite trait first. My favorite trait of Mandy Patinkin is the part where he's naked and yentl. Oh, that's a good one. My favorite <laughs> trait, I guess, is his like infectious smile. <laughs> I like his warmth. He just like he's radiates ex- yeah. warmth. Yeah. He's a Jayhawk. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. He grew up in Chicago and he went to KU. Actually, on one of our earlier episodes, I talked a lot about this episode of Live with Regis and Kelly. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know he was a Jayhawk. He's a Um, J-J-J-J-Jayhawk, just like me. When we talked about it, I probably then mentioned one of my favorite stories where it's like, Rock Chalk Mandy Patankin. (laughs) When people come up to him and like recognize him, especially little kids, and they're like, oh, you're an Ego Montoya, but like you don't look like him. And he'll be like, close your eyes. And then like he'll reproduce the voice from 1987 that is an Ego Montoya. You killed my father, prepare to die. And like, I think that's so lovely where you can like understand how your fame of like a very particular character of a very particular line resonates very specifically and you can then like try to create that magic moment for someone yeah. like that's so generous that is that is so generous big I time love that. theater person all theater person he is the theater person I like the most though for sure that like, is such a theater person thing to do yeah such a dramatic theatrical act but also like not like a shitty one like look at me look at me because like look at me Andy Patinkin now you know what I mean like 30 years later like still would <laughs> sure of course because it'd be like of soft course. and cuddly we but all it, i bet he i bet he still gets hard that's not what i'm saying i no, think like, i mean like i think he's still in shape sure but i he's, think he's, manny patangan's keeping it tight i don't think he's keeping it as tight as it was in 1987 okay no yeah. He didn't even have to try to keep it tight in 19. Exactly. It was like the testosterone was and the fucking metabolism was doing it. I'm happy to say this. I had a very um, vivid sex dream where 
I knew myself to be Rachel Weiss, which is a weird thing. Okay. That's weird. And I was in bed with Daniel Craig, who she's married to in real life. And I was just licking water off his pectoral muscles. And I was like, this is fun. I could do this forever. That was my sex dream. Where was the water coming from? It just was on him. Oh, okay. He was wet. I get that. Oh, my God. Because water is nice. Mm. What if it was raining? There were beautiful, soft rains. Yeah. Everything about it was very soft and like blue, like the blue of his eyes, but also like the blue of the ocean. It was great. It was a good dream. That was nice. It's nice. I can't remember the last time I had a sex dream. It's always weird. It was probably weird and probably made me uncomfortable. Sex dreams often do that. Yeah. Yeah. That one's pretty good and normal. I totally get why you said it on record. It was weird that I wasn't myself, like that I understood myself to be Rachel Weiss. But then that's also that like is weird. a weird like wish fulfillment because like I fucking love her. And like if I wasn't licking Daniel Craig, I probably would have been making out with Rachel Weiss. Let's be real. We are so off topic. Listen, the point is this book is very boring. <laughs> this book was so boring. It's an immediate no man's. I didn't understand the weird shit about virginity. It's not interested in talking about race. It's not interested in talking about war. It's not interested in talking about anything. It was a billionaire playboy who had a private jet and a very nice mom. Which I would say is like the most offensive of the three novels, including the second one we read, which involved child rape. Great. <laughs> yeah. It's like this book stands for nothing and is nothing. Yes. Like at least Savage Sands was trying to do something. It was complicated, fucked up and messed up 10 ways from Sunday. But like it had a specific point of view. It had an adventure. Yeah. And a heroine who grew and changed as a person. Yeah. Like our heroine gets hair relaxer, which I cannot stress enough as like a weird move for a white woman <laughs> to have. Yeah. And like also then like no hair politics are pulled into this. Like why are people telling her to relax her hair? And then like this is a flat iron. Also, how the fuck has she not seen a flat iron before? Like, did she go to public school? Did she go to school? Also, she does go shopping in the made up town in this book. But all she buys are exotic oils. She does buy her like weird peacock harem pants. And I was like, green is a nice color. That is a nice color. Green is a nice color. Yeah. And it like went with her hair and her eyes, I guess. I don't know. Well, because she's a, eh, I've got a crazy <laughs> idea. Let's put a redhead in some green. What? Snooze. Right? Everything about this book is so predictable and such a snooze fest. Yeah. Oh, boy. I was just bored. I guess the dry humping was fine. It's always fun to see a dry humping scene. I don't feel like we like. No, that was pretty. Funny. Yeah. I don't feel like we talked about like that. He came in his pants as a grown man. Yeah. I was like, you 31 and a chic. What are you doing? What is happening? Yeah. Don't was- tell me you like her that much because that's not how this works. That's not how this works. You oh are my a God. adult human male. And I will say like this book felt more in line with consent politics than I thought it would. Uh-huh. Like every sexual move forward had is this okay if I do this? Like, I'm going to do this to you. Is that something you want? Which really took the regressive, you know, alpha masculinity out of his sails because like every time he touched her in any way, he's like, now I'm going to do this to you. Is that okay? And she's like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that was the worst. I'm like, well, is he an alpha male or isn't he? There's like very little taking happening here. In fact, there's none. 
Okay. <laughs> now you're trying to have it both ways. I don't want it both ways. It was surprising to me yeah. because this book was written before me too. And it felt very aware of its aware of consent in a way that I thought was good, but also like kind of out of line of the thing that it was doing where it's like, he's a regressive man in the desert. And I'm like, well, it's not that regressive. They're like fucking rose petals in your bath water. And like, he's asking if he can like rub your feet and thighs. Like, yeah. And there was also this very fucked up thing where like everyone, mom, her, his brothers were like, we're just a big pack of regressive alpha dudes who are disrespectful of women and uh, ride around on horses. Yeah. And then none of them practice martial arts. They do practice martial arts a lot. There's a lot of that. But like none of them like felt particularly offensive dudes. None of them actually did or said anything to the women in their lives that that kind of sexist masculinity I don't know there's one scene where like his brother is trying to order for his pregnant wife and he's like that's too spicy for you you can't eat it because you're pregnant and then she like winks across the table and she's like I ordered what I wanted to order anyway I wanted the mild spice I know and I was like I don't wait like that's such a weird yeah that's such a weird maneuver yeah it's like I said this earlier it's like it kind of feels like my big fat Greek wedding where you deal with the problem of patriarchal masculinity when in my big fat Greek wedding when the mom says the, the father is, is the, the head, head but the, the woman, woman is, is the neck they felt like that and I was like no thank you it's not empowering it is not that's tomfoolery shitty workaround it's wacky hijinks yeah, and it's also weird. It's like, why are women putting up with it? Why are women putting up with it? I don't know. Because there are women, and they might even be listening right now, who like are putting up with it, who think like trickery to get their way is like witty and worthwhile. Because patriarchal men are dumb? Yeah, but like... That's what it's also predicated it's on. also not... They're the dumb ones, but you're the one doing all these elaborate games to get what you want instead of just saying like, this is what I want and doing it. You're the dumb one. <laughs> Fucking stop. Yeah, you're being devious. So like, why? Why? Yeah. Why are you in this situation? Yeah. It's not cute. It's not. Oh, fuck. I'm so upset thinking about it. It's bad for all of us. Yeah, it's not good for any of us. We have to be able to be like, this is what we want. Whether you do it like loudly, whether you do it softly like, you have to be able to say what you want and get what you want and know what you want. Mm-hmm. If you want mild spice, order mild spice and put your foot down. Seriously. Why would he get involved with what you're eating? Yep. That felt weird. But also, like, it's all of the men around him that do the things. Like, he never really does anything that's dictatorial or, like, truly alpha. Like, he yells at her when she left for three days. But he doesn't even really yell at her. And then he takes her to a sexcursion in the desert where they're alone with rose petals and like pillows for three days. We don't get to see any of what goes on for those three days. No, we see the dry humping and then it's like fade to black. And then he like takes her virginity. We are to understand. Yes. But it's like nice because he scissored her with his fingers before. Yeah. What was that? A weirdly specific nugget inside of a denuded sex scene. <laughs> so what is it most? means when she says scissor the book says scissors the book says but scissors. he like inserts two fingers and then he spreads them apart inside of her as though he's miming running in order to spread her open because she's so tight and virginal and like there's this thing about like 
this is how we're taught to make love. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Like as part of their training Which in their is martial the thing arts. You get in Savage Sands too is yeah. like they're trained on how to have like when she gets married, she's like part of the best man's duties is to show her his penis blindfolded just like the guy on the boat. Yeah. It's like everybody's cool with what's about to happen and like knows there are like no surprises. It's so weird. It is weird. It's a weird thing that there would be like sexual training about diversionization. <laughs> pew, 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 pew. God. Which I don't see how this would work. I was envisioning it more like this. It's like rather than having your wrist at like. A, I was doing it vertically. Isabeau is suggesting it's more of a. Horizontal. A horizontal and then an up and down. But like, yeah. So like this. Well, you got the, you I got still don't understand how this would spread you. It wouldn't. But I guess I mean a little bit. Like, that's the other thing. I highlighted this part where, like, no one's ever touched her down there except for a doctor. I was like, yeah. Fuck. Seen her. Seen, seen her. her down Grace there. doesn't touch herself. It's like, why isn't Grace touching herself? She's like a f- very young woman. Also, old women can touch themselves. Yeah, but it's like, there's absolutely no exploring but going on. Thing. She's a 25 year old in 2008. She hasn't seen sex in the city. She lives in New York. How'd she know about New York if she didn't also know about sex in the city and masturbation? That's such a great point. But also, how the fuck <laughs> has she gone to any kind of school and not learned about masturbation? Was she living with the Amish? Is this like a long rumspringer? She had a really, she had really long hair. She had really long hair. The whole thing is ridiculous. The whole thing is ridiculous. I I also, ask you. Sure. No, what were you going to say? I was going to say, I don't understand virginity as like a fantasy, but also like the kind of virginity that also then comes with total ignorance. They call it innocence in this book, but like, let's call it what it is. It's ignorance. Ignorance. He's like, don't you know what ejaculate is? And she's like, "Uh, of course I do. And I'm like, do you know? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Look me in the eye. Do Do you you? know what ejaculate is? Because you've never even looked at yourself so whereas savage sands the process of like getting you ready to lose your virginity is like getting you very 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 wet all the time for like three weeks straight yeah just constantly getting you wet which is way more effective than definitely the sound that fingers make inside of a vagina that's definitely that was my scissor sound that was great sexiest part I guess the rose petal bath. Yeah, that was pretty good. I guess I was into the idea that he would be so like fully hard for her just being around, mm-hmm. even though it's ridiculous. Sure. I think that's nice. The part where he buys her the Red Sox jersey, mm-hmm. she gets a really big one. And he's like, why do you always buy this big clothes? <laughs> She's like, then can sleep in it. And then he's like, Boing! Boing! <laughs> yeah, that was good. I guess, you know, honest to God, sexiest part, the dry humping in the Hummer. As silly and as horrific as I find the Hummer. I think Hummer, you're right. It's like the dry humping was really good. It was also like, you know, it's like he's between her thighs. Like that was the most anatomically, like it was the fullest sex scene that we actually got. It was the fullest sex scene. They didn't have any weird costumes, which mm. happens in like the other sex scenes. Dry humping is not something we get a lot of. Which I think is too bad. And the idea of making someone come in their pants is... Not great for a 31-year-old man, but perfectly acceptable for a 22-year-old innocent virgin. Yeah. 25, like if they had been on the same playing field, yeah, I would have been like, cool. Yeah. Also, one thing I didn't like that happened at the sexy parts, they always came together. I'm like, no. No. 
I really like the thing that happens in romance novels more now than it used to. Like, people come at different times. People come in different ways. People come in different ways. People get to come more than once. Okay, Savage Sands had her coming, like, nine times within seconds of each other. That was crazy. That was also probably, like, you know... The penis nudge. Yeah. Look at how good I am! It's the sound of a penis. I'm doing a great job! I just find penises like very earnest in their expressions of themselves. Well, yeah, I think that's the thing. Like earnest penises. It's like there's no deceptive penis. No, there's no deceptive penis in romance. No. Like it's always just like fully erect at its desk. Whatever you're like holding a clipboard provocatively. And it's always just like... Yeah, I'm doing my best job. And then when the penis is actually talking in the romance novel, it's like nine times within seconds of each other. I'm just doing my job. Just doing my job. Nothing to see here, madam. Nine times within seconds of each other, and the world didn't split open. I hear all just your... regular stuff that happens to regular gals whenever I... they're dealing with a penis like yours truly. I can hit all your walls and your clitoris at once. Your room is quivering. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so good at this. Your womb is clenching in expectation. Why the fuck do they think the womb is involved? The minute I read something about a quivering womb, or a which happens womb in, in Hired, the chic secretary mistress. More than once, I, hi- I f- highlighted it twice. I'm like, what is your womb doing? <laughs> I want to be like, girl, girl, you have not had an orgasm. Or like, what kind of orgasm are you having that like extends that deep into your pelvis? Well, like, you Why feel is it, it everywhere, but it's not like a quiver. It's like, womb. how do you <laughs> isolate the womb quiver versus the other muscle quiver? Do you know idea, what I mean? The like, idea of your womb being like, <laughs> goosebumps. <laughs> it's like, you hit my cervix. <laughs> Thanks for buying me this Red Sox jersey, mister. <laughs> So <laughs> love that you keep referring to him as Mister. I feel like I'm watching Newsies, except it's a penis. It's just a very earnest penis and a very earnest womb. <laughs> the story of Newsies. Wombs don't sell papers. Penises sell papes. Papes. Papers. <laughs> Newsies is an erotic romance. He's pape smears on like Newsies erotic romance. <laughs> Quivering wombs. Yeah. Weirdest part? I had a good one. You go first. I can't think of it. So my weirdest part involves the entirety of the makeover scene. They fly in a private jet. Mom. Our main. The hero's mom. Hero's mom. Our main character, Grace who he sometimes calls Gracie and I had a dog named Gracie and I did not like it. Yeah, it's a name for a dog. Thank you. And so then they go back to Athens to shop for three days and they hire a styling consultant named Sabrina. And I was like, oh, this author really loves the movie Sabrina where Audrey Hepburn and or whoever with Catherine Binoche. Catherine Binoche. I was like, you really loved both versions of Sabrina. This is it. You're like three days in Athens is basically your like Sabrina montage. And like you liked it so much. You also named the person doing it Sabrina. And I was like, I see you too much. 
Also, stop relaxing this person's hair and like not talking about like why that would be a problem. 2008 straight hair was all the rage. True. Relaxing hair is like a lot though. Yeah. And like everyone's like cool with it. I was like, she had really pretty like ringlets. They called it kinky too. And I was like, oof. There's something going on there. There's something personal going on there with the author that Mm -hmm. did kind of like, hello. It's almost like if the author wasn't present in this text, it would be more acceptable. Like if this was if this was the result of a blind cash grab, I would find it more acceptable. I agree. But this doesn't feel like a blind cash grab. There feels like something like very specific happening. This is an entire yeah. series. Yeah. Right. It's the three brothers. It's also this other princess who marries an American named Hawk. And this princess is Hawk the American. Hawk Go the on. American. And this princess is supposed to marry our hero, Amir, in this book. Um, they're engaged to be wed. It's an arranged marriage. And then she runs away with her American bodyguard. This is the thing. So this is a Harlequin Presents. This book came out months. Monthly. The series came out monthly, rather. And I think that the fact that this series in 2008 revolves around three sheiks, all the sons of the major sheik of a made-up principality called Zohar. And then there's this other little tidbit of a princess from a neighboring principality whose father is also a sheik. She's like basically Princess Jasmine and marries her American blonde bodyguard. Like there's something very specific happening Why here. keep marrying white people why do they keep marrying white people because they keep interacting with white people why is her bodyguard an american marine named hawk not spelled with an e y'all spelled like the animal (laughs) like the critter like the critter hawk the american yeah like why i don't know but like that's the thing like the thing about chic novels is that they're always interracial Mm -hmm. by design by design And so the idea that something would be so in denial of like national racial identity difference between two characters and would seek out to be an erasure of that is so violent. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that this niche exists in itself as like an interracial idea and then would destroy that just be a project in destroying the idea of racial difference because there are people who seek to rid the world of difference of cultural difference of racial difference that is genocidal Mm -hmm. and that's a problem like there's something about this like fetishizing an interracial relationship because of its interraciality is something that can only exist in these weird pleasure pockets like romance novels like fan fiction, like pornography, but is actually a really destructive way to view the world, right? Like, I want to get off on the fact that this person is different than me. But it's also super destructive to be like, I want to get off on the fact that this person is not at all different from me. And so the thing that the previous two novels did was that friction between the pleasure of difference and the problem of difference. And this book, I think that's why it's like it feels intense to call this book genocidal in its project. This is where it's but that's like, that's where I'm at. I see why you're there. I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I think like the project of this thing is not unlike the project of like blind casting, right? Where it's like here's human X, they can be any thing 
right? And like, that's why when Grey's Anatomy announced itself as blind casting, it was like such a big deal in 2005. And like, they had so many actors of color and like, la la. It was like this huge thing. But like, how can anything ever truly be blind? But also, how can a chic romance have anything to do with blind casting? Like, it can't, right? It cannot. And so like, this idea where it's like, oh, we don't have any differences at all. It's like the same motivating idea of saying that a Electing Barack Obama meant that we are a post-racial America. Yeah. That's what this book feels like it's saying. Yes. And it's like, well, that's that's explicitly not true. And like, it's explicitly not true because of all the things that you're doing. Yeah. And that's why I think the previous two novels we read were problematic. Yes. But this one feels fully destructive. It's as ignorant about race and culture and all of the attendant problems as our main character, Grace Burroughs, is ignorant about sex. It's like, it's actually, it's actually a problem that a 25-year-old woman has never looked at or touched herself. It's like gross. Yeah. It's gross that this book has decided that there are no differences. Not even like, there are no differences of significance, although I think that would be a problem, but it's like, there are no differences, period. It's like, we're all the human race. Yeah. We just have different environments. It doesn't rock the boat. It doesn't trouble the waters. It doesn't do anything like that. Whereas I feel the previous two novels were really like, I mean, they were bad shit, but they were also like very much like, then I guess he's blindfolded and fully erect. Like, I guess this is where we're going down. This is it. She pulled off her caftan. I don't know. Do they wear caftans? You know, like, yeah, there's something like respectable in trying in like acknowledging a difference. Acknowledgement. Acknowledgement. Right. And then being like, I don't know what to do with this. (sighs) Yeah. It's going to be a problem. Yeah. like, Like creating a messy chic novel to me is more respectable than doing one of these, like essentially a sweet romance. Yeah. A billionaire weirdo sweet romance. That's like sterile. So it's a hard no man's for me. I will not read this or any other in this series. Yeah, it's a hard no man's for me. As much as I'm someone who really appreciates the messy romance novels. You do. You love them. I love it when people are just putting their desires out there and they're saying like, this is what I'm into, I guess. Or like, wouldn't it be interesting, I guess, if this happened? Like, I really love that. I really love that. I love when class gets sloppy. I love mm. all of that. Chic is, is hard. Chic is and hard. It's so messy. And it's also like, for those of you, I wrote my master's thesis on this idea of like the pleasure of difference and how we can create a pleasure of difference without the problem of difference. And I looked at that through the lens of race in fan fiction specifically. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really interested, but I don't think I could do more chic romance. And a thousand percent, it's because of hired the chic secretary mistress. Totally. So offensive in its banality. It's like whenever you see the once again, I realize it's weird to associate this genre's modern movement with genocide. But you think about like 
the banality of something like genocide under the Nazi regime, the banality, like when we look back, we'll read a bunch of on what's happening at the border. We'll see like a bunch of memos, government memos. But I think even more important to 2008 and like to our 17 year occupation of two nations in the Middle East is like that too is a genocide. 250,000 is a generously low estimate of the Iraqis who've died. And like the fact that we've lost less than 5,000 American service members in 17 years says something really specific about how chic novels are reading this. Yeah. Right? Or it's like the kinds of casualties of war. And so like there's Iraq, there's Afghanistan, but now there's also Yemen. The fact that this novel is not investigating any of those problems that are political, racial, cultural. Like, he doesn't even have a religion. The fact that, like, sheiks might not be Muslim is, like, whatever. But, like, this book doesn't touch religion with a 10-foot pole. Yeah. And, like, that kind of erasure feels like the same kind of erasure that is going on in terms of our own view of this never-ending war. Class stuff in romance is especially hard because historical romances rarely acknowledge class difference. And these chic novels rarely acknowledge class difference, which is also stark and important. It's just, ugh. It's just, this book is nothing. And, like, the chasm is frightening the chasm is frightening this for me felt like one of the books that people talk about that romance is to use it as an insult yeah and I feel like this is maybe one of the first times in the podcast where like that felt true yeah it was like if this is the output even when we've read what we've considered to be failures sure they have been either spectacular failures yep or there's been something interesting about them, something like fascinating, something skillful. This is none of those. It's hokey, it's boring, and at its very worst, it's an erasure of something that shouldn't be erased. Yeah, it's a romance for me as well. Oh, yeah. Which is wild, because I thought, what a kitschy title. This will be a ride. The only thing worse than Cubs fans, Red Sox fans. Fair, though. <laughs> Harsh, but fair. With that, loosen your stays. But never your principles. Mwah. Whoa, indeed. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womance. All editing and music is done by Nick Gravelin. Our logo is by Mary Reichman. And our webmistress is Jane Bonzak. They're the best. Feeling woeful about having to wait a whole week for more romance? Well, cheer up, Buttercup. You can creep or connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, or our website. Our webpage is womancepod.com. If you prefer to be more verbose and or direct, why not send us an email? We're womancemail at gmail.com, and we can't wait to hear from you. In the meantime, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast listening app. Until next week.